This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly, an absolute corker at the Etihad. Spurs turn Spursy and then back again against Manchester City. We'll try and discuss the game and not focus too much on whistle-happy Simon Hooper. Liverpool bring the vibes to Anfield to break Fulham hearts. Are they the biggest challengers to City's inevitable title? Or is it Arsenal who kept the jeopardy going against Monday Night Football's Gary O'Neill's Wolves? Manchester United are back in crisis mode. What do you expect when you have to travel by automobile rather than plane? Tis the season, we have our first sacking. Poor Heckingbottom is gone after Ollie McBurney fails to keep his elbows to himself. Will perennial man under pressure Steve Cooper follow after Forrest got diced at the city ground? Elsewhere, how far into the bag do England have the Euros? A favourable group and a tasty one for Scotland as the draw is made. Team GB are still in with a shout of making it to the Olympics. Bizarrely, only a home nation stands in their way. We'll discuss all of that, plus we'll have your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. So for the more observant among you, you might have noticed I'm not Max Rushton. Barry Glendening is also absent today. They've both gone on a pilgrimage of self-reflection following recent revelations about Max's toiling woes. Uh, his Sydney hotel room anecdote triggered Barry's Munich moment. They will return transformed, better, more self-aware. Lessons will be learned. A root and branch review will be carried out. And who knows, maybe even Sony will produce a documentary on their journey. Uh, on the panel today, Jonathan Wilson, good morning. Morning, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Lucy Ward, hello. Hi, Rob. And Barney Ronay, good morning. Hi, Robin. No, I think I think it's great that you've taken over from Max. Um, he had a good run. Um, <laughs> all quite good things come to an end. And <laughs> while we should remember him, we should also just move on very quickly and never talk about him again. Uh, okay, yeah, that's usually how these things work, isn't it? Uh, this is very much interim, though. I'm I'm very proud to be having the interim on on the oh. on on the graphic. Yeah, so oh, I thought this was it. Oh no, oh well, I can't wait. It's going to be great to get Max. Great to have you here, but really looking forward to getting Max back. But not Barry. <laughs> is this the airing <laughs> of grievances bit then that we're doing right, right at the top? Uh, that's that's every every week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, let's start then uh, to go to, it's been a, a fantastic weekend of football, starting well with last night, Manchester City against Spurs. Barney, you were there, mate. Yeah, I was there uh, and it was a really good game. I mean, I'm sure it was good on telly as well, but I, I've kind of been um, resistant to the kind of um, what you might call the Ange nonces, you know, the kind of, <laughs> oh, mate, he's so emotionally intelligent, you know, he's so... He's just, he's just a bloke, you know, and you kind of, because everyone's been so gushing, you kind of want it to fail. That's not, I didn't want it to fail, but there's some part of you that quite would enjoy that narrative arc. But I just thought he, that was actually really good yesterday. And he did change, he played the four fullbacks in defence and not many defensive players. And you thought, oh God, this is going to be a disaster. You know, they're going to play this high line against Doku and Haaland and they're going to lose 7-1. But he did, they adapted and they they actually defended really deep at times, ridiculously deep. But you saw the difference between a centre-half and a fullback trying to decide where should your starting position be. Like Foden's goal was basically on the goal line where he scored it from 
But they really stuck with it, and I thought it was really impressive to score two equalisers. I thought the attacking was really coherent, and it was very logical to play like that. It's like, what what strength do we have? We have really quick attackers against some quite, not that quick City defenders. That's our strength. That's our only chance. So it would be illogical not to play to that. And and it wasn't sort of naive, gung-ho attacking. It was just a really sensible thing to do, because if you just try and, you know, play out deep block with VAR, you know, VAR has meant deep defending is just a much, much harder to do because in the end you're going to give something away. So I just thought it was really smart. And I, for the first time, I actually thought, ah, oh, good on good on your end. He's just a, just a great bloke with great vibes and all that. Kind of, I mean, I'm normally very anti-Australian but and Australianism generally, but it was, um, no, I thought it was really impressive and, uh, you know, good on him. Did we lose a bit of respect for him, though, Jonathan? Especially in that, you know, after half time, he takes off Hill, he brings on Hoybier, the coward. <laughs> he said he was going to stick to his principles. Um, I mean, if his principles were playing Brian Hill at, at all moments, then I think you'd have to question that. Like, like, <laughs> I, I, you can you can change your, you can make tweaks without sort of uh, it being a wholesale recantation of the Ange philosophy. I mean, I, I think I think what, what Barney says is right that. There was no point playing Eric Dyer as, as you know the only sort of senior fit centre back in the squad, because Holland is better than Dyer at everything. So you can't play high line because Dyer's slow on the turn. Holland would probably beat him in the air more often than not. So at least by playing fullbacks there, although it, you know it does create certain issues, you've got that that mobility. You can play the high line, and if the ball gets played over the top, they have got the pace to get back. But I, I think almost the more significant thing was the fact he kept the. The three four was up at all times, which then forced Guardiola into the change, and Akanji had to drop deeper. By doing that, yeah, Alvarez as well has been a slight sort of underlying issue for, for City this season. That they have to find another midfielder from somewhere, which is why Akanji or more ideally Stones would, would would step up into midfield. Uh, and th- that midfield was vacant. I think Spurs found it relatively easy to to, to play out. So the, the the tactical side of it, you know, I I thought was was really interesting and. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe we're kind of reading too much into this. I mean, City did hit the woodwork twice. Holland did miss that great chance. It was the XG was what two point six to zero point five, I think. So, so City could have won it quite easily, but it sort of feels quite significant. They've now drawn the last three league games, letting two against Leipzig. Defensively, they're clearly not as good this season. Yeah, they're letting in I think one point one four goals per game in the league, as opposed to sort of a zero point eight five standard over the last three seasons. There are defensive issues there. And of course, Rodri now suspended for Villa on Wednesday. Villa, who scored more goals at home than anybody apart from Bayern Munich across Europe this season. Suddenly that game looks looks really exciting. It does. Um, Doku also picked up a knock. And uh, so Rodri's out and also Jack Grealish is going to be suspended for that one too. I got a bit ahead of myself. It was um, a brilliant game. Uh, so Son scored twice. Uh, first in the right end after six minutes, a really good breakaway. Then an own goal. Uh, Phil Foden then scored to make it 2-1. But after the break, Lucy, I don't know if you were watching on Sky, but Gary Neville said at 2-1, Cecilia looking sloppy and complacent. Um, I'm not sure if you agreed with him, but it kind of came to pass a little bit after that. Yeah, I, I think it did. I think that they they rely on sort of full control of particularly central areas, City, because obviously, you know, they, they attack quite a lot. But I think they've lost that. I think because of Stone's not being there, because losing Gundogan, they haven't really got creative player in there. And I think the ones that they've signed to replace have not particularly got themselves going yet. But a um, couple of points from that, 
Grealish definitely didn't fancy a Villa Park return because when you get a yellow card for kicking the ball away, you know you're going on and getting a yellow card and missing going back to Villa. Definitely. That's, mm, that's certainly what I, I thought. And I wish I was a Spurs fan, to be honest, because just going and now watching a team who do that. I mean, it, he sort of tweaked a little bit. He, did, he, he didn't really change what he did. Obviously, just a little few tweaks with, you know, the, because of the injuries. But sitting back, really sitting back all the way through versus City is not guaranteed to work anyway. And it just tells the players, if you keep changing, that you don't really believe what you've been telling them since since July. Postacoglu, it's not just about his players. It's about the training ground. It's about how people will support him because he can connect connect with people. So I can imagine how good the, the Spurs training ground is simply because of the way that he he is a you know a proper people person. Well, Max isn't here, so we do need an anthropologist. Um, just for balance, because I do work for the BBC. Um, I watched back the live show from Brighton last week, and um, Johnny Lou described Ange Postacoglu as a pathetic Aussie PE teacher. Thoughts, anyone? <laughs> I think that says more about Johnny than it does anybody else. Yeah, the strong words. And he also yeah, came out on the pod and said that. So, so after that, as we mentioned, Manchester City, a little bit sloppy. The Celso scored a great goal. And then... Barney was Eve Basuma sort of turning into into traffic for a fairly simple one for Jack Grealish after that. And then Kulisevsky with the, well, we loved that he flattened, absolutely flattened Ake by getting to that header. I think it it did it come off his shoulder. I mean, I thought it kind of was one of those ones that sort of head onto shoulder and sort of leaped in. But it was... um... It was brilliant. I really enjoyed, uh, I don't know if you saw, could see Richarlison's, I actually thought Richarlison had scored at first because he went completely mental when it went in. And I, I think it was a big relief for him. But I, I was interested also by the 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 stuff at the end. Um, I mean, Haaland was, Haaland was Haaland, um, was, was uh, really, really cross. I've never seen him so cross. The interaction with um, Lo Celso was actually quite funny because Lo Celso, I don't think, really understood what he was talking about. He just looked completely unbothered and he's this really quite small guy next to him. It was quite funny watching that happen. The referee... See, in the stadium, we thought at the time that it must have been offside um, with the incident where the referee waved play on after a foul on Haaland, who then played a great through pass to Grealish. And you thought, OK, he's in here. And then he stopped play. And we thought well, that must be because it's offside and there's no advantage. But that wasn't the case. He just changed his mind, the referee. And so it was it was a poor decision. But I think it's been slightly overdone since because it was an opportunity. It was an opening. It wasn't, a, a, he wasn't clear through on goal. There were three players running back with him. Something might have happened. Who knows? Greedich isn't Doku. He's not going to run away from those players. Um, and I think with Haaland, there was some frustration probably because he's a very good player with his own performance because he did miss two open goals he probably felt quite frustrated he did make Grealish's um, uh, goal with a really nice little bit of play but he didn't have a very good game there's times where you look at him and you think well they're basically playing not with 10 men because his presence is a massive distraction for the defense but it's like you've got it's like when one of those riderless horses wins the grand national there's this thing there that's not really doing anything but is visible um and the rest of his team do have to make up the fact that he's in many ways not a very good footballer despite being arguably the ballon d'or winner you know he doesn't he's very uneven in what he does although having said that the movement and the run and the pass for Grealish's goal were really good and i think he's getting better at that I think he was really frustrated with himself and I don't think we should be distracted by that one refereeing decision. Um, City could have won that game 
quite easily if they'd taken the chances and they were probably frustrated by that. And to be fair, in his press conference, Pep Guardiola did, didn't really talk about it. He just he'd got it out of his system. He said, yeah, it was one of those things. Um, we got, we'll look at other things after that game, not, not the referee, which I thought was fair enough. I think, well, he kind of had a little dig at Mikel Arteta, didn't he? Saying, well, I'm not going to do a Mikel Arteta comment. So yeah, so he managed to get that in at least. Um, on X, Harland wrote uh, WTF above a clip of, of that incident. Um, he'll probably get charged uh, by the FA for that. Um, on City though, so 10 goals they conceded in the last four games. Um, Barney, do you feel like that, you know, Usually Pep Guardiola kind of figures the, these things out. Like last season, he, he did the sort of putting John Stones into midfield. Obviously, he's a big absence. Are we still expecting them to figure this out and run away with it maybe in the new year? Well, they, they often have a slow autumn, don't they? And part of that is related to why they succeed because Guardiola doesn't let the team stand still. You know, he changes all the time to keep himself ahead. And that takes time. Although I would say last year, I think they were helped by the break, you know, the World Cup. Um, Holland wasn't there. Uh, Guardiola worked with him a lot, and, and that was that was a pretty useful thing if you're re-gearing a team. They were they were really good after about a month after the World Cup. They really started playing well. Um, so <laughs> I don't think they're finished. I mean, they still. If you look to their bench, um, I I claimed that every single player on their bench would have started for Spurs. Um, uh, some people probably disagree. Maybe the goalie. Um, I think Oscar Bob would probably be in the Spurs team, and you know the rest of them are just really good players. So I don't think they're quite in crisis. I don't think we can have two simultaneous Manchester crisis, can we? Maybe we can. Can you be, be fun in though, wouldn't it? And, yeah, it would. To Anfield then, Liverpool four, Fulham three. Um, some incredible goals in this game, particularly um, Alexis McAllister. I very much enjoyed Marco Silva. Um, afterwards saying that he wouldn't do that again if he tried for two hours, which would have been, I love that, if Silver kind of led him out to the pitch and said, go on, try that again. Um, it was it was absolutely glorious. Um, kind of similarities here, Jonathan, maybe, that Liverpool, you know, that they might get over the line, but not much control, perhaps, again? Yeah, I mean, we could easily, this morning, have been talking about City winning a seven-goal thriller and Liverpool being frustrated by, by drawing 3-3. And then the league table would look slightly different and, and we'd still be assuming this is City walking away to the title. So I think Liverpool got away with it. But the great thing I think you, you see is quite often with Liverpool is even when they're a bit flawed at the back, they, they their capacity just to keep going and to physically overwhelm teams late in games, which they lost last season, that, that does seem to be, to be back. And I, I think when they got to 3-3, you sort of expected them to get the winner then. I mean, they had, what, four minutes plus injury time to go, I think. Um, and it came very quickly. But you sort of sensed that Fulham were out on their feet and and, and that they, they they would get at least one more good opportunity. Um, but yeah, I mean, four, four really great strikes from Liverpool. And they, they can't be relying on great strikes. You know, they will dry up at some point. But Salah seemed a bit off it yesterday, I thought, which, you know, he's been great this season and he, he just wasn't quite wasn't quite there. Well, match the day they said, yeah, he was off it. Um, he's looking for his 200th goal, his 150th Premier League goal. Um, Darwin Nunes was slightly off it, although sporting a cracking How can you plat- tell? How can oh, you tell if Darwin that- Nunes is on it or off it? <laughs> what, 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 what was he off? Did he just have a fairly unremarkable, competent game where nothing extraordinarily weird happened? <laughs> Uh, that, yeah, that's the measure of him, isn't it? If 
but I was going to comment on his cracking plats. I mean, yeah. that, that was, I mean... He strangely looked, Robin, like someone I used to play with, which is a little bit worrying. <laughs> well, you know, Jill Scott used to say someone used to do her plats. I like to think of someone in the Liverpool dressing room doing them for him. Do you think, yeah. who, who would that be? It was think? Siobhan Chamberlain. Siobhan Chamberlain yeah. was the plat queen, so perhaps she went round and, and <laughs> Nunez's house and did his. Expertly done. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, it's hard on Fulham, um, wasn't it, Barney? And uh, especially when, you know... You, Bobby Deckard over puts them ahead in the 80th minute and they come away with nothing. It's been a slightly strange season for them, actually, isn't it? Yeah, it has. They're, they're really quite a good team, but they've had a few sort of players coming in and out and they will be fine. Um, but I, I think they've slightly kind of underachieved. It looks like they're in a bit more trouble than I think they realistically are. What I really enjoyed in this game was um, Trent Alexander-Arnold free kick um, just like the the skill and the bravery and the vision and the everything required to do that, the years and years of practice, the precision, the ability to block out the moment, and it's an own goal. Yes, we just call that an own goal. It's a burnt leather own goal. Sorry, your name's not even. <laughs> I mean, the footballs can be great sometimes. So, in what sense is that an own goal? But well, if he is. wasn't there, if the goalkeeper wasn't there, would it have gone in? Well, it was much more likely not to have gone in if Trent Alexander-Arnold wasn't there. If you took, 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 had true. to take one person out of that equation <laughs> to stop that happening, probably he would be more key to the moment. But it's to do with betting, isn't it? Um, that's why it has to be an own goal. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm so naive. I think so, yeah. I think so. Oh, yeah. right. I mean, I have to say, on a, on a Fulham point of view, I think Tom Kearney's made a difference in the last couple of games. I think he started against Wolves when Polinia was was injured. Uh, he doesn't tend to play that much, but he came on a sub and made a difference for Fulham again. He's got, he, he doesn't sort of move as quickly as you would say the modern centre midfielder, but he's got a lot of game craft. And I do have, a, I'm a little biased because he, he was one of the kids at Leeds that got released for being too small at 16 with me shouting in the background, but he's still a child and he will grow. And he obviously he's now six foot two. And I, you know, I don't like to say I was right, but I was right. Um, but he's gone on to have a, a really good career and always makes a difference for Fulham. I mean, I think he's not like a bull in a china shop, like, you know, is it Harrison Reed that, that plays? But Pline is obviously is brilliant. But I think when he does come on, he, I think he, he made Deco de Dover Reed's goal and got man of the match on Monday. And I think sometimes there's a, there's a place for he can't get around the pitch type centre midfielders. And when this, certainly when they've got that sort of much game craft. It still astounds me that so many football clubs don't, Remember that you know kids do tend to grow. It, it, it is madness, but you know I, I think quite a lot. Is, you know it, it just depends. I mean, it also depends on what the first team manager or the first team ethos is, whatever if they have got one. But you know, if you've got somebody who can control and pass a ball better than anybody in the group, but he's still a child and he's very small, then you you sort of give him a little bit more time. Messi, Messi, for instance. Yeah, that's the, the elite example, of course. Um, Chelsea 3, Brighton 2. Um, John Bruin saying, why does every Brighton game seem to end in a ruck? And I think that's just the vibe for Roberto De Zerbi. He just loves it. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of uh, a bit pushing, shoving after the full-time whistle, uh, Pochettino having a go at the p- officials. And this seems to be a theme once again. Um, Chelsea getting over the line, Barney, and another player sent off. Do they have a discipline problem, do we think, maybe? I think they, they have many problems. Um, is it discipline? I mean, there are just so many, there are so many players revolving in and out of the team and 
it's such a ill-fitting assault. This is a new idea of how to build a team which isn't building a team at all. Um, it's not surprising things get lost. I thought the um, Conor Gallagher's tackle on Billy Gilmore was actually quite... I mean, in, in slow motion, it looked quite vicious. I don't know if it was a kind of old teammates thing or I'll, I'll show you. Um, but it, I don't know. It, he it seems just... like a sort of... He's quite an aggressive player, isn't he, Gallagher? Yeah, yeah, he does get stuck in. Um, but it, it kind of went that little bit beyond I'm going to take the ball into kind of... And while I do it, I'm going to, I'm going to knock you over. Uh, Chelsea seem to win a lot of games, but still seem to be, you know, closer to the relegation zone than the... They're just such a, a confusing team and such a confusing entity. I can't see... It's really hard to see any kind of happy ending in, in that group of players or what they're sort of trying to do. It seems to change all the time. And uh, I don't really understand how they won that game, but somehow they did just by throwing lots of players who can do spectacular things at a game of football. I don't like it at all. I find it completely incoherent. It's like uh, it's like a child playing football on a computer game. And I find it really boring, actually. And I, I, I wonder if Pochettino can make it interesting because I always thought he was a manager who liked, who was interested in chemistry and the way players work with each other. It just seems a very odd fit, but who knows, give him 10 years, maybe. It is similar, though, Barney, to a child playing um, a computer game because it seems to be an owner playing a computer game, you know, an, an owner that thinks that it's easy to, oh, I can do that, what a manager does. But, you know, the... The technical area is a lonely place and you'll see that managers stood in the, the technical area and having to make decisions. It's all right sort of picking them out on paper, but obviously having to do it. I feel a little bit for Pochettino, but trying to turn a oil tanker around it's in, with a load of different players and that's it. Too many players, but then too many injuries so that you can't get anything sort of with any sort of certainty or, or consistency. It's just so they bought these players clearly as a kind of investment vehicle. We'll yeah. buy all, all the young talent. But football is not, it's not, there's no draft in football. You don't know who the best players are. There, there are. The market is vast. There are billions of kids all around the world who nobody knows if they're going to be any good or not. You can't, you cannot corner the market. All you can do is give people a chance and hope they get better and, and try and construct a team. Uh, and the idea that you're going to buy up all the good players, I'm going to buy Mudrick because he's on YouTube and he looks good on YouTube. It's just <laughs> so stupid. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely dunderheaded. And uh, I don't think anything this incompetent has ever happened in sport. If you put the money and the results so far, I mean, maybe it'll all turn around and it'll, it'll turn out to be a master plan and they can disrupt football by having thought about it for 10 minutes. I mean, I'm all for people disrupting things, but it has to be done intelligently and with some inside knowledge, not just because you think you understand how business works, which seems to be what's happened here. Um, so, yeah, good old Chelsea. Just thinking about who we could sign next on YouTube. It might be Joe Wicks popping out for for Chelsea, especially if it, yeah, P with Joe over lockdown. I will, I, you know, I'm not a betting woman, but I don't think Joe Wicks can kick a ball straight properly. That's just really? my... Yeah, I think he did soccer, yeah. did he? Did he do something like oh, that? Oh, did he? Oh, right, okay. But that, does, that still doesn't like... mean he can kick a ball straight. Is Joe Wicks the, the, the fitness bloke from Essex? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, but he, he could come in as like a fitness coach. I mean, Pochettino... Yeah, that's fitness. actually a really good idea, and if you suggested that, they would definitely do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they would. <laughs> they should sign show Speed because he's showed speed. I mean, they would literally... <laughs> there doesn't seem to be in... Why not? You know, do, do it. It makes as much sense as anything else. <laughs> 
Well, Enzo Fernandez got two goals, one a penalty, and Levi Colwell got the other one. And a very funny moment where he scored and celebrated for about three seconds, then realised who he'd scored against <laughs> the, the team that sort of made him last season, and then and then sort of called for calm. Um, Jonathan Brighton are sort of they scored a good goal, Buonanotte, and then João Pedro got got one right at the end to kind of make it a bit interesting. They seem to they've got glimpses of Brighton, haven't they? But they're not getting there sort of for 90 minutes and for the whole, for this season actually generally, is that just down to perhaps the increased schedule? Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, we've seen it before with teams who've had a, had a really good season and Europe takes out of them. I mean, they've got a lot of injuries. I know everybody's got a lot of injuries at the minute. It sort of feels like you say it for every team. Dunk obviously is suspended, which is his own fault. So yeah, I, mean, I don't think there's anything to worry about. I, I think there's to an extent a natural regression to the mean, but it, it must must take it out of you, especially if you're Brighton. You're, you're not used to that in any sense. And for fans as well, if you're beating Ajax and Marseille midweek, to then yeah try and raise yourself for a, a run-of-the-mill league game. I, mean, I know it's Chelsea, so it feels a bit more glamorous, but essentially a mid-table league game, of course, there's a drop-off because it's beating Marseille and Ajax that are the exciting things. So Brighton are struggling to raise any interest in playing uh, Chelsea these days. <laughs> well, so I also, if, if you know, if if you're thinking, about I think you're projecting you're... there. John, I think you're project you're projecting your own feelings of. I mean, I really disaffection I... onto this group of young, really enthusiastic, up and coming, super talented <laughs> footballers. Yeah, you know, Julio Inciso, he's just like me. He's really he doesn't want to see Brighton against Chelsea happen. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I was I was like Julio Inciso when I was when I was nineteen. I had the similar haircut. Similar aggression. Yeah. Uh, Actually, he's injured, isn't he? He's a really big. He, he, he is injured. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to say, I did. I really did struggle to raise myself for West Ham v Palace yesterday. Um, <laughs> struggle to raise myself to get on the train to go. Struggle to raise myself to write a piece. Struggle to raise myself even to watch the second half. It was dreadful. But more on that later. I uh, look forward to that, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just one final note on this one. Um, so, yes, Conor Gallagher was sent off. In the previous game, Rhys James was sent off wearing the captain's armband. So let's see who's going to be next. Well, Casado um, so could have gone as well, couldn't he? I mean, he was already on a yellow and that, that challenge, uh, I mean, it could have been a booking. That's what I'm saying. They've got a bit of a discipline problem. 47 cards, three red this season, the highest in the league. Uh, but that'll do for part one. In part two, we'll discuss the first sacking of the season. Welcome back to the Guardian Football Weekly. Burnley 5, Sheffield United 0, and that was the final straw for Paul Heckingbottom. The 4th of December, we've had our first Premier League sacking. Just on the game, first of all, I mean, Burnley flew out of the traps. Uh, Jay Rodriguez scoring after 15 seconds. And Jamie says, can we have praise for Jay Rodriguez, please? Still getting the goals after playing for either Burnley or Southampton since the mid-90s, it seems. They really went about this, didn't they, Lucy? And... Burnley is their first home win of the season. It's been a miserable time and a huge, huge win and confidence boost. Yeah, I mean, Jay Rodriguez makes me laugh. You think you're just going to get this accent that's going to be sort of very sort of foreign and remarkable and he's got a Burnley. It's just the best. I love it when he when they ask you a question and they go, oh, Jay Rodriguez, and then he just talks like that. It's so northern. He's, I just love it. But yeah, at, at Burnley... You know, I like Vincent Company, but I think that you have to get used to losing more than you win. And the teams that get used to losing more than they win when they're used to winning more than they lose are the ones that adapt quick. And as soon as you get that, as soon as that 
the, the penny drops with, with um, promoted teams about that, that you cannot let anything affect you. So if you lose three in a row, you can't let it affect you. And that's so difficult. And that's the, I think that's the biggest issue for a manager. So we're talking Sheffield United, Burnley and, and Luton. The ones who get used to that quickly will be the ones that sort of flourish and, and maybe get some of those results when they're sort of focusing on a game at a time. But yeah, I think Burnley did brilliant. And I think that that's sort of a monkey off the back. But, you know, Sheffield United, they had absolutely no chance when they got... Pro- I mean, they, they sort of overachieved when they when they were promoted. And then they, he wasn't backed in the summer. They sold the two best players a week before the start of the season. Absolutely no chance. Hecking bottom. I don't know what uh, people expect. However, you know, when the when the spotlight's on you, you've got to sort of show that, that you're having an effect and... and I think, you know, lost a little bit. Although I think McBurney's second yellow card was a little bit, I don't, I'm not sure that that was a yellow card when I watched it, but obviously having done the first one, then, you know, you can't do that again. Probably can't put your arms out again. But a little bit of indiscipline and, and the players don't look quite like they are producing for the manager. And I think as soon as that it's shown, then, you, you know, Heckenbottom had no chance. Mm. McBurney went full Duncan Ferguson with those two elbows so yeah not helped and that probably helped rack up the scoreline where does Sheffield United though Jonathan go from here because Lucy just raised it I mean I doubt it's going to be a rescue job is it with with the greatest of respect it's it's nearly impossible isn't it at this stage for Sheffield United to get out of this it's going to take something pretty momentous yeah it would do I mean if and in terms of the nature of their squad in terms of how they've played so far I think you'd say that it's not impossible in terms of points because of the Everton points deduction. It's not that they cast adrift. It's It looks like three from four. So from that point of view, you're not looking really at the gap. You're looking at, can we catch Luton? Can we keep keep in, in range of Everton? You, you just have to run faster than Luton and you'll stay up. Well, and Everton. Everton carrying their, their, their 10 points of burden. Is there much evidence they can do that? That's the well. That's the I, I mean, they, before the last two games, they've been all right, haven't they? They they got four points in, from two games before the last two, but they've just looked dreadful the last two games. But it just sort of feels in football sometimes. Oh, this isn't working. We're going to have to do something. What's the thing that teams do? They sack the manager, and I, I just sort of think. I mean, I, I, you know, we were talking about this before before the pod, weren't we? And sort of saying managers will always take jobs because there's not many jobs about. But it's it's sort of a. It's a hiding to nothing. You're probably just going to get a relegation on your on your CV, and it's so early in the season that it will in, it will impact your capacity to turn things around next season. So we've seen it with you know, Jan Sievert or Dean Smith. Chris Wilder's the obvious one because he's floating about. Obviously, has has recent ish history with the club, so, so maybe he goes back there. But uh, yeah, it's I I I feel sorry for Paul Hackingbottom. I, I I just don't. His mistake was to get him promoted. That was what he should never have done. Yeah, but although that will remain on his <clears throat> on his CV and hopefully he'll get a job with someone who wants to be promoted. I mean, he literally has, uh, I mean, the, the <laughs> he's got the word bottom in his, his name and, you know, the, I don't know if the nominative determinism, but it is very much a kind of switch it off, turn it off and on again, sacking, isn't it? Let's see if this does something. We, we've run out of ideas. But they should hire a 27-year-old German who skateboards and wears purple trousers and has ideas. And I mean, it's for kind of a free hit, isn't it? Although having said that, they're only four points away from being out of the relegation zone. It's not, it's not the end of the world. But yeah. It is annoying. It's one of my bugbears at the moment that, that football becomes obsessed with certain things. And it's at the moment, it's become obsessed with coaches that have never played and have just coached 
and they're the best thing since sliced bread. I think it's every single managerial appointment in the last sort of few weeks has been a, somebody who is a young coach who probably is still old enough to play. So then you say, well, how come you're not still playing? And and I, I, I'm, I don't know. There's a balance with everything, but they, they I call them iPad coaches. And, you know, when it gets right down to the real sort of dirt stuff of football, I'm not sure an iPod coach has that ability to sort of, I don't know, it's a controversial opinion, but, you know, at half time, if you've never been in that sort of situation, you have to sort of, you have to have had that, or it helps if you've had that experience. The balance of the two is wonderful. Who, who are you thinking of here? Are you, I mean, are we talking Joe Edwards? Who are these iPad coaches? The younger ones who keep getting opportunities at, when they fail at some clubs, they just, and I'm not talking about the older ones anymore. I, I, there's certain managers that don't do that well at clubs and then just get another club just because they're young and they actually talk. The, the, the key is, Barney, is talking a good game. So people, so owners go, wow, he knows what he's doing. But yeah, but look at his win percentage at wherever he's just been and he's. Hasn't this always happened in football, though? And this is just a different little. I mean, you you had you the round of yeah. guys who just got jobs. You know, I mean, people will say Steve Bruce, but I'm not saying Steve Bruce. You know, Mark Hughes. You just appoint one of those guys because they're a famous. Yeah, artist, probably just from the other end. No, it's just a younger, yes. more yes. snazzy merry-go-round yeah. on skateboards. Is what we're saying. Um, Barney, uh, Vincent Company. This is it's big win for him, and I think Burnley really, really, really didn't want to you know, have to pull the trigger on him. I'm not sure if they would have done, actually, because you, you think he'd probably be the best person to bring them back up. But I just, I really like him. Yeah, I don't think they would. I mean, he's he's built so much there sort of to his design. I think sacking mm. him would be a massive thing. You're going to have to change everything. And I think it's, I think it's interesting what Lucy was saying probably applies to, to Burnley. I think you were talking about Burnley. The, the idea that you've got to learn to, to lose games. That's what yeah. Nottingham Forest were really good at last year. You got, you got the thing, every game was a separate event and they would just walk out and run around and didn't matter what happened before. And and that, and that yeah, if you're playing as a, you've got this kind of idea of a process and this is how we play. If you lose three games in a row, you you probably do start to, to doubt yourself. I quite like Vincent Company, although he does kind of, um, is he going to become mayor of Manchester at one point? He kind of talks <laughs> as though he already is the mayor of Manchester. He's kind of got... <laughs> But he's very likable, and I want him to be good. I want to believe in him. And uh, some of the players they've got there are great to watch. You know, and I'm sure that they'll be fine. I think if they realise they've got good enough players to win enough games and look at it from that way, we're going to win enough games if we just keep playing like this. Um, then they'll they'll be fine, and they'll probably get better next year. At uh, St James's Park, then uh, Newcastle one, Manchester United nil. Um, Ryan says, with Newcastle putting out the same team against United as against PSG in the week and only having about seven fit players their name, who's more tired, them or Croatia? It's never Croatia. Is it generally remarkable or are United just that bad? So Anthony Gordon with the only goal of the game. Um, but Jonathan, it was a 1-0 battering, wasn't it? Oh, it really was, yeah. Um, and if, if that late Tom Maguire goal had counted, I mean, it was obviously offside, shouldn't have counted, but had that counted... It would have been a, a, a scandal. Uh, but United is in that position now where, I mean, I think, I think they've done well enough recently um, against teams they should be beating that Ten Hag is safe at least until the Jim Ratcliffe semi-takeover thing happens. And then I think decisions will be made. So they, they, at least they're not in that position where they might have to get rid of him because football clubs just 
sack the manager because they don't can't think of anything else to do, and then bringing an interim. But yeah, the fact that they're being investigated over not cooking their chicken properly, uh, the fact that their flight was cancelled and they had to get the bus, you know, nothing is going right for them. And, and partly, you know, part, partly it is a lack of investment in infrastructure. Things go wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing if you pay your chefs the right amount, they can tell if a chicken's bleeding or if it's kind of cooked. <laughs> it, it is. There is there is systemic me- mediocrity all the way through. Uh, are you employing people who who are the best at what they do, or people who are simply going to agree with you? And that goes all the way down from the top. And Lucy, I think it's important, as, as you pointed out, the contrast between Manchester United and Newcastle. They both had energy sapping, emotionally draining games in midweek and it couldn't have been more different between the, sort of the, the the way they went about this game. Yeah and, and I think that that's the thing about Eddie Howe and and what he's managed to to establish at, at Newcastle you know I, I know we talk about the money and you know and, and 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 the players but you know that top team spirit that energy that you know the way that they played is regardless of who plays obviously they've got a young player that came in did really well um, but you know, I, I just think that that's the foundation. You can always fall back on that, and if you haven't got that, and you try and fall back on it, then you you know you come up short. And I, I think Alan Shearer said it on Match of the Day that they just that things start to go wrong. They, they don't roll the sleeves up, and and when you've got a captain like 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 Bruno Fernandez, who is an unbelievable player, but I think that his first thought when things go wrong is to moan and to to you know to throw his arms in the air. I think that that. Is sort of epitomizes the, the the rest of the group. I think Marcus Rashford, his, his body language was quite interesting. His sort of uh, lack of immediate, you know, reaction to sort of track back, and that, you know, that's not him, is it? So what else, you know, what else is going on there? Where he, you know, he has that sort of um, or seemingly that sort of attitude, and that, you know, I, I just think that's it. They, they, they don't want to when things things are going right, they're fine. When things are going wrong, I don't think they've got the sort of ability to or enough of ability to roll the sleeves up. I think that's been true all season. It's it's. I think his attitude generally this season's been been odd. So you think of the um, the England Italy game even. So even when he's outside the United you know, environment, and I, I watched that game in, in Romania. So I had Romanian commentary on. So I wasn't being sort of led by by the commentator. And that, that that Italy goal, the tendency looking at on Twitter seemed to be to blame Maguire. And then some people said, oh, actually, I think it's Stones. No, it was Rashford. Rashford doesn't track back. So Italy get a two and one on, on their right. And and that's that's why the cross comes in. Yeah, I mean, I think having worked with, with young players a lot, my first thought of looking at him is, right, what what's going on? Who, sort of who's looking after him welfare-wise? And I know that they've got a really sort of strong... Um, academy sort of welfare education at, at Manchester United. I've worked quite a lot uh, with them over the years, but I, I, there is something there, whatever it is, um, whether it's to do with sort of work or whether it's to do with personal personal life. But you know, you, you you sort of have to sort of question that, and and you know, my first thought would be sort of support. But um, yeah, it's 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 not quite all there, is it? I think that's an understatement. Newcastle might be without Nick Pope as well for for some time. Um, Eddie Howe saying that he might have dislocated his shoulder, um, so he's going to see a specialist today. Um, That'll do for part two. Uh, Next, we'll look at the rest of the Premier League. Uh, Welcome back to the Guardian Football Weekly. Arsenal 2, Wolves 1. So Arsenal top of the Premier League. 
perhaps a bit more comprehensive than the, the scoreline suggests. Um, Arsenal, Jonathan, it seems finding their rhythm, they've had a couple of really good performances. But I saw before this, um, Tim Stillman of this, of this parish was saying that they're getting the job done without being that much fun. They seem to be a bit more fun now, but is this perhaps better uh, way of going about trying to win a title? Uh, I think defensively they're a lot more reliable than they were last season. I think the squad's deeper. They haven't been as fluent and that that may be partly because Arteta has been fiddling about a bit with getting fullbacks moving in the midfield. I also just think teams have worked out if you if you want to stop them, you've got to double up on Saka and Martinelli. And the teams who've done that successfully, so you, you think of, of when they lost at Newcastle, for instance, Saka and Martinelli really struggled to get, get involved in that game. So I think there is now a, a formula to beat them and Arsenal have to find other ways of scoring goals. But I didn't think Wolves did shut down Saka and Martinelli particularly, if you think of that, that first goal. And I, th- I think, I can't remember if it was Gary O'Neill or one of, one of the Wolves players said they'd worked all week on how to stop Saka and then within 15 minutes, however long it was, he, he scored and they haven't done what they'd worked on. Mm. Uh, yeah, very good team goals from Arsenal in this one. Eddie Nketi also hitting the post. Uh, Mateus Cunha getting one back for, for Wolves. Um, some positives there, Barney, perhaps that Gary O'Neill won't have to receive an apology from the PGMOL this weekend. Yeah, and Gary O'Neill, um, and his, it's like he's getting divorced from VAR and they have to have these constant painful discussions. So we had a we had a really really long discussion, and it, you know I feel really I really feel like saying someone needs to just give him a hug and say it's just it's just a game, Gary. It's just a game, it's a game. You kick, you, you're you're propelling uh, an inflated sphere into a netted square, and that's all that's all it is. We don't need to have any more long talks. Let's just try and have some fun. Let's rediscover the joy, Gary. What what does Var get, and what does Gary O'Neill get? Is this the negotiation in the divorce? Does he get? Yeah, do they I, do, do they keep I, the screen and? I, I think, but yeah, they get Anthony Var gets Anthony Taylor and Darren England, and, and um, Gary gets a whole load of bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fair split. Um, Nottingham Forest nil, Everton one. Um, Lucy, was this the defiant performance from Everton that we were expecting last weekend against the corrupt Premier League? Of course. Yeah. It- Interesting Everton. I think that that um, Dice seems to have got them going this season. Obviously, that that's a, a hammer blow. But I think that you know everybody's saying they'll be all right. I just think that this sort of performance is is they know if we're talking about getting used to sort of losing more than than you win. I think that Everton have that sort of attitude. They know where the, the games to target. That they'll know that they they can get three points from. Forest is quite interesting because Cooper obviously seems to be under pressure and I. I did notice that Joe Worrell, club captain, has not been involved in the last couple of squads after sort of being in and out of the team. He's not injured. Um, and it's amazing how, I mean, I'm not saying anything's gone on, but but it's amazing how that might affect stability in a club. And then what I'm talking about is if, if he's sort of been frozen out, if he's not been chosen for, for squads, then it affects the rest of the players because he's club captain. He's obviously a very influential player. He's been there a while and be interested to see whether that has, has had some effect on the group of players. Because like Barney said before, players are human. They react to different things happening to people that they like within a in a club. And just him not being around and, and, and not being part of the squad is is quite... And not really getting the, the results has been quite interesting. Do we think we might see the end of Steve Cooper? Jonathan, as, as Lois has said, he seems to be perennially under pressure 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, Maranakis clearly is a... He's not an owner who's afraid to sack people, but equally, Cooper's very, very popular with the fans, and I think he's done a really good job. So it's, it would be it would be a risk for them to to get rid of him, particularly at the minute, given I don't think Forest really are in any any serious danger of being relegated. I think they would possibly have been slightly unlucky in the last couple of weeks with a, a couple of penalty decisions. The, the home form was what kept them up last season, and they started to drop points at home. That that would be the concern because I don't think their away form was particularly. It probably is a bit better than last season. It hasn't picked up dramatically, uh, but I, I, yeah, I don't think there's there's any real reason to 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 get too worked up yet. Forrest could have had a penalty to Curie on Yates. That was discussed quite at length on Sky. Everton have not lost under Sean Dyche when they've scored the first goal, and 33 of his 82 Premier League wins, Sean Dyche, have been by one nil which I think might be the most Sean Dyche stat I've ever, ever seen. Um, Brentford 3, uh, Luton 1. I think, Barney, this possibly just shows that, um, you know, Brentford, they've gone up to the Premier League seamlessly and they might, maybe they might be the next sort of palace, that purgatory team where people start to think, oh, where are we going next? Yeah, I, I really like Brentford. I think they're great. They, they kind of create chaos, don't they? They create this really physical sort of pressure. Um, it must be horrible to play against them. It's a funny little ground surrounded by tower blocks. It's not exactly a, a cauldron. <laughs> it's, more, it's more like a really good, like a cage in the middle of a nice new estate. Um, but they, they, Thomas Rennes knows exactly what he's doing and they really play on their opponent's weaknesses. Um, I think they're, they're great to watch. And I, I just couldn't see any u- universe in which Luton were going to beat them because they're so pragmatic and it's exactly the kind of team that will, will find your, your weak spots. Mm. Neil Mope, second goal in nine for Brentford. Who needs Ivan Tony? Um, I think Arsenal. Uh, <laughs> do you think that's, that's yeah, possibly one of them? But it's been impressive, hasn't it, Lucy? They've absorbed his absence so well, Brentford. I mean, Thomas Frank. I'm a huge fan of his and his wonderful hair. Um, yeah, he's he just knows what he's doing, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, and it, it, it's a it's a good club as well, and and that's and they've responded over the years to losing the, their best players, and and then you know the rest of the players stepping up, and I, you know obviously um, in Burmo he's scoring goals, and he's probably been in the shadow of Tony that sort of the last couple of seasons, so he stepped up. Thomas Frank is 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 a tactician, and I think that he obviously gets them going. I did that Chelsea, the Chelsea Brentford game, and even though he said they didn't play well in the first half, they defended well, and that's all they probably needed to do at that stage because then they got goal in the in the uh, in in the second half. But it's a good club because they, they they've got a strategy, and again, it's you know quite a, f- a few clubs find it very very difficult for a cohesive, coherent strategy. But I think Brentford have certainly got that off, just obviously based on data. And I think this they've now started to develop, because obviously the Premier League rules now say that you've got to have a, at least a Cat 3 academy by next season. So they've had to bring their academy back bit by bit. I think they started a Cat 4, trying to move to, to, to Cat 1. They didn't see the point in it before because, you know, the best players would just be taken for no money, um, hardly any money by, you know, the big clubs around in the, in the London area. So they just used to make friends with the London clubs and go, right, you can have, we'll have a sell-on clause. We'll take the you, you're, um, the ones you've released at whatever age group, near a sort of 16, 17, 18. We'll try and turn them into players and then you can have a percentage of the sell-on and it worked for them. So now they've just a little bit of a different strategy now. West Ham won, Crystal Palace won. Jonathan, you did manage to get there and watch a game of football and write a piece afterwards. We should congratulate you I'm on that. I'm not sure I watched a game of football. It was, uh... <laughs> you watched something. 
It was it was pretty grim. I mean, even David Moyes afterwards was sort of like, oh yeah, we couldn't really raise it. We we didn't have a personality to get going. We couldn't get the atmosphere going. It was just so drab. And Amakudas played well again. He's obviously a really good player. Uh, it isn't a nice goal. Actually. I mean, I know it's deflected, but the move leading up to it was was nice. Palace were dangerous from set plays. That was the only real opportunities they created. Uh, even the goal came from a, a goal kick, albeit. Uh, you know West Ham goal kick and you sort of thought everybody would be much happier if it's sort of you're one o'clock David Moyes and Roy Hodgson just wandered out shaking hands we're calling it a draw lads we're going home we're going to going to go and watch some some Matlock DVDs together and oh, yeah, off you go you can go you know, there's loads of football on telly today probably better than this just go, go and watch that um, so yeah it wasn't it wasn't great but I guess from Palace's point of view you know they're, well they're without a win in six now but They've at least now got an extra point. They've 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 uh, they'd lost four of the previous five to get in the draw. I guess a point that West Ham's a good result it just eases. If there was any pressure there, it just eases that because they do have. I think it's Bournemouth midweek and then Liverpool and City. So if they were to lose that Bournemouth game, maybe pressure could come fairly quickly. Mm. Happy Monday, West Ham and Crystal Palace fans. Um, Bournemouth two, Aston Villa two. Um, Bournemouth played very well and was slightly unlucky not not to win this one. And Barney Ollie Watkins showing his elite with a fantastic header. He will be the one that Gareth Southgate throws on when England are desperate to get a goal back in the Euros this summer, do we think? I don't know if he's a sort of game-changey type player. I mean, he is, he's really come on, hasn't he? His movement and, uh, you know, you could set up a whole team around the way he plays because he's so good at running in behind. Um, but that finish was incredible, wasn't it? That's that's like a dream goal, like the the neck muscles, the kind of directing the ball, putting power. It's the sort of goal goal you'd score in your sleep, isn't it? And kind of watch it rip a power header rippling the net. That's the goal I'd like to score. Um, if I could just come on and you know maybe play for Man City for half an hour or something, I could probably muster one of those up. Um, but he um, he's got to be in in the England squad because he he. He's a really good player now, a really good player. But I don't know if he's an impact sub exactly. Would you bring him on as an impact person? He's someone who you'd want to base a system around. No, I suspect um, Harry Kane might start looking decent. Um, England are weird though, aren't they? I mean, if you look at it, England uh, England actually good now. I've spent years saying, nah, you're over, you know, England have the greatest hand of young players in Europe. No, they don't. But they actually do now. Uh, Bellingham is a real game changer there. Um, I was thinking about that this weekend. Uh, best player in La Liga at the moment. Best player in the Bundesliga. They're all English. Is the best player in the Premier League English? Probably not. But um, yeah, it's, it's worrying times for Gareth. Very disconcerting, isn't it? Um, Dominic Solanke with a really nicely taken goal as well. And Antoine Semenyo had a really good game, Jonathan. I think we'll, we'll probably cover this a little bit more in the new year, but he's one that I know Bournemouth fans are quite worried about losing to AFCON and that's going to be something that the Premier League is going to, I mean, most clubs, I guess, in the Premier League mm. are going to have to address. No, I, mean, I think he's really good. He's, I mean, I, I, it's, it can go either way. He's good with both feet. I think he could have been sent off yesterday. Actually. I mean, he was on a yellow and a very obvious shirt pull. But but yeah, he's, I was at that game when they beat, beat Newcastle and he, you know, he looked outstanding that game. He's, he's sort of, I don't know, he's, He's not just technically good, he's he's big with it. Whereas you look at something like Justin Clive, it just seems a little bit lightweight still. 
so yeah, he's 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 a he's a really good player, and he will be a, a loss come come January. The draw for the Euro twenty twenty four group stages took place on Saturday. Uh, Scotland will be opening the tournaments. They face off with host nation Germany. They've also got Hungary and Switzerland in their group. England in Group C, Slovenia, Denmark, and Serbia. Group B, we think, is the group of death: Spain, Croatia, Italy. Uh, and Albania. Um, also to note, Wales are in path A of the playoffs, uh, meaning that if they can get past Finland and then either Poland or Estonia, uh, they will end up in Group D with France, Netherlands and Austria. Quick round of what else happened over the weekend. FA Cup second round. Charlie says, can anyone stop Gillingham on their march to the FA Cup? Uh, they've knocked out Charlton, Oxford and Cambridge both through. Uh, so that's good for your interim host and your permanent host. Yeah, Jim says, what routes will Oxford's open top bus take when they show off the FA Cup at the end of the season? I think they take promotion first. Shocks, uh, a few of them. Maidstone United of National League, led by George Ellacobi, uh, beat League 2 Barrow. Chesterfield uh, beating Leighton Orient. Um, the biggest upset, although I wouldn't put this down as a surprise, Eastley's 2-1 win over Reading. The Big picks, possibly, from the draw. Arsenal against Liverpool and Wilson Sunderland against Newcastle. Trying to get to that one, do you think? I will avoid it at all costs. <laughs> it just sounds awful. We've, we've got a great record against them recently. It's a shame that uh, it's going to be jeopardised. What I will say is that Sunderland have not lost to Newcastle in the FA Cup for over 100 years. Bill Holden getting both goals when Sunderland won 2-0 in the quarter-final at St James in 1956. Uh, and then Sunderland won in a third replay in 1913 on the way to the final where... Controversially beaten by by Villa in the final, so controversially that Sunderland refused to turn up for the Charity Shield next year um, because they were they were so. You have to interrupt him, um, or it will just keep going. Can we talk about NFTs or Snapchat or Super Leagues or something modern just to clear the palate of? All that? <laughs> no, definitely. Okay, this will clear the palate. Women's Nations League, very exciting. England coming from. Uh, 2-0 down to win 3-2 at Wembley against the Netherlands on, on Friday night. Uh, very flat, though, after a full-time whistle because qualification to the final and then to the Olympics is now out of their hands. They need to beat Scotland at Hampden Park on Tuesday night and they also need Netherlands to drop points against Belgium or uh, they manage a three-goal swing in their favour. Well, much more on that and the plans for the new Champions League format in the women's game on the Guardian Women's Football Weekly, which will be out tomorrow. Um, don't really have time for any other business. A lot of people asking about my Munich moments and no, um, we'll, we've run out of time, maybe next time. Um, so I think we'll leave it there. Um, if any, Unless anyone else wants to share their Munich moments. Um, this is a safe space. I'm guessing no. We've been here long enough. What's a Munich moment? Barry's Munich moment. He shot himself on the U-Bahn. Ah, <laughs> that sounds like oversharing. Okay. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we have the new regime in place. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, comrades. Um, thank you, Jonathan. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Lucy. Yeah, Rob. And to you, Barney. Thank you very much. Cheers, everyone. We'll be back on Thursday to cover some of the midweek games. Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray and our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. This is The Guardian.